It's Wednesday, February 15th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. That's true. And from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Mager. Also Gentlemen. true. Gentlemen, <laughs> good to see you. Uh, we're going to talk about... Only true facts here on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're going to talk about Berkshire Hathaway's latest investment. We will dip into the full mailbag, but we're going to start with... Uh, snack food that is near and dear to my heart, which is Pringles. Uh, we talked last week about Diamond Foods having to restate two years' worth of financials. Now known as Coal Foods. <laughs> uh, after some questionable accounting practices came to light, and one ripple effect was that Diamond's deal to buy Pringles from Procter & Gamble fell apart. The good news is Kellogg's announced plans this morning to buy Pringles for $2.7 billion. Uh, Joe, Procter & Gamble is one of the stocks uh, that you follow closely. Uh, is this a good deal for both sides? For one side, what do you think? Oh, it's a great deal for P and G. Now, this is only two point seven billion out of a market cap of one hundred and seventy-seven for P and G. So, keep this in perspective. But you know, they'd worked out this deal with Diamond that apparently has some issues, and I'm sure <laughs> it's because it was done in stock. Yeah, they were scrapping. I'm sure behind the scenes to get out to get out of that deal as quickly as possible, find another suitor, and it worked out well. They're getting a better price for it. And Kellogg's is a natural partner. They're a foods yeah. company with great reach, and they'll be able to wring a lot of value out of it. Well, and, and you're right about the price. Uh, Diamond uh, agreed last April to buy it for $2.4 billion, now at two point seven. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you agree, Bill, that this is a good deal for Kellogg's, even though they are paying a good $300 million more. Yeah, the interesting thing about it is that Kellogg's was in the, in the running for the deal last year and thought it was too much. They thought it was too high. But I think they've gone back and sharpened their pencils a little bit. And one thing that Kellogg brings to the table is that they do they do feel like they can wring some you know some synergies out of it and, and wring some efficiencies some in, some inefficiency out of the uh, the, the uh, Pringles operations and I, you know and I think it's I think it's probably true that it is more of a you know it, it would be much more of an important business to them than it would be to Procter and Gamble. I wonder how long it is until we see some like cross branding and promotion of Kellogg. <laughs> so there's like Pringles cereal, cornflakes, <laughs> Pringles. Um, Joe, we've talked about this before, but you look over the last few years, and Procter and Gamble has sort of been methodically shedding, shopping parts of themselves. Yeah, off. shedding yeah. their food assets, um, uh, but you're liking that strategy. Yeah, I like it because it's not really part of their core business and the core is serving people with daily items that improve their lives. So everything You're from, saying Pringles don't daily improve people's lives? How dare you? Yeah, I think people who are consuming Pringles every day and while I'm jealous. And smuggler's gone. How how dare you? I appreciate all these things. But I do think this makes a lot of sense for them to keep focusing on typically stuff that's related to health and home care. So, you know, Gillette razors, uh, Charmin toilet paper, diapers, the list goes on and on. And it's these daily use items that are kind of their bread and butter. And I like that as a shareholder. And they got rid of bread and butter, I think. So well, there I, you go. I stopped listening to you when you said the word health. Um, is uh, Bill, I'll just close out with you. This seems like it's uh, from the standpoint of both stocks, it seems like a win-win because, um, you know, as Joe just said, Procter & Gamble continues down this this path they've been going on. Shares of Kellogg's, even though they announced this deal to spend $2.7 billion, their shares were up this morning about yeah. 5%. Is this the rare win-win for both stocks? I, th- I think that's right. And you know, and I think it's also important that uh, Procter & Gamble has gotten out of you know having to do the deal with Diamond Foods, which 
they had done for stock, which I mean, I suppose even without this deal that they would have been able to uh, to claim an adverse effect you know, clause and get out of the deal, but it was not going to be cheap for them. Uh, according to yesterday's quarterly filings with the SEC, Berkshire Hathaway has rebalanced its holdings. Uh, guys, among the changes, Berkshire has increased its stake in several companies, including Intel and IBM. Uh, Bill, I'll start with you. In the past, Warren Buffett has famously avoided the so-called tech stocks. Yeah. Um, what does this tell you about Intel and IBM? I, I think what it says about Intel and IBM is that Warren Buffett believes that they have that they that these are more franchise companies than than tech companies that they are companies that have such a long stream and such a long visibility in what their cash flows it would be like that for him that's you know, that may, it makes sense you know and I think the thing that's important about an IBM or a uh, or or an Intel is that they don't have the thing that he's always said that he's had trouble understanding was the rapid the rapid product cycles and mm-hmm. the turnover and. I think he's saying that he's got enough visibility in these companies now that he's able to, you know, to to have more confidence than them than you know in really any other tech company. Yeah, and you can read between the lines a bit with some of these purchases because some of them were done probably by Todd Combs, who is one of his understudies now, who's basically managing a small, what is small for Berkshire, right. but by any other standard, vast amount of money yeah. uh, to get some experience. And potentially take over a larger role as you know maybe a CIO once Buffett's gone down the road. So the purchases that were something like you know two hundred million, five hundred million, mm-hmm. those were probably Todd Combs buys. Yeah. The ones that are elephant sized are Buffett ones. Yeah, like the sale of uh, of, of of Exxon was more likely Buffett than yeah, yeah. and the block of J <laughs> block of J and J that was sold about yeah. a quarter of it. Yeah, I mean we've talked before about. Companies that um, are bellwethers for the U.S. economy, certainly last month uh, in the wake of Intel and IBM's earnings, those are stocks that are seen that way. But, I mean, to your point, Joe, ExxonMobil, Johnson & Johnson, um, Kraft Foods, those are three stocks that Berkshire has either – in in the case of Kraft Foods and Johnson & Johnson, they've decreased their share. ExxonMobil, they're – basically, they sold it outright. Um, should we read anything into that, or is 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 that just sort of general rebalancing par for the course for Berkshire? Well, with Exxon, it could have just been a valuation story. With J and J and Kraft, honestly, both these guys have just been screwing up yeah. uh, for years <laughs> now. Like J and J's management, I think the CEO needs to go. Yeah. Uh, they've had so many recall problems; it's just been a complete embarrassment. It's hurt the stock. It's hurt the brand. And I'm still a believer in the stock, but. It's definitely had its issues, and I don't think they're working themselves out in the next few quarters. Yeah. Not that Buffett's thinking about the next few quarters, but as someone who does focus a lot on management quality and franchise value, you know, when you get Kraft continually making missteps and J&J screwing up its brands, you know, that's something that Buffett would pay a lot of attention to. Yeah, I think this was Buffett's way of saying, don't make me come down there. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me turn this car around? That's exactly it. Um, well, let me just close out on this. Uh, when it comes to Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, this this quarterly filing that they do, this is very closely watched by people on Wall Street, by individual investors. I know you guys are, are both at heart value investors. You're both uh, followers of, of Buffett. To what extent does this quarterly filing factor into your investment thinking? Is it something that you just notice casually, or is it something that, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you've either been thinking about buying a stock or selling a stock, and Buffett comes out, you know, Berkshire Hathaway comes out with this filing, 
And this tips the balance for you, Phil? You know, I, I I would say, I mean, obviously, for a lot of reasons, we're in a different boat than, than Warren Buffett is. But he's managing, you know, in the in, in the eight and nine digits in, you know, in terms of an asset value. So yep. he can't transact in, 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 in a lot of the smaller companies. These are, you know, this is the pond that he has to fish in. So for me... You know, for me, looking at a, a you know a Johnson and Johnson, and I agree with 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 Joe. I mean, it's a wonderful franchise, but that's not an area where I feel like we have a you know we have a great edge. Where a Warren Buffett, he kind of has to fish in those waters. So yeah, I note it, but it doesn't really drive what uh, what what we do. Joe, yeah, I think it's helpful to look at what he's bought and sold and think about the underlying reasons why his teaching points because he is the most successful investor on the planet. But uh, I also think. To Bill's point, one, we're swimming in different waters, and two, it is important to think for yourself as an investor. And even though yeah. I hold Buffett up as the best living investor, that doesn't mean that I'm always going to agree with the guy. And I think he would probably say, you shouldn't do yeah. everything that I do. You can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. We got an email from Matt Huser. He writes, I am fresh out of college, and I'm putting 10% of my wages into a retirement plan operated by professionals. However, I'd like to test the stock market with what I think I know. I don't have a lot of cash, so I'd be starting out with the minimum deposit required by the major stockbrokers. That's typically around $500 for the E-Trades and Scott Trades of the world. Uh, what are some stocks worth getting into that are feasible with this small amount of money? Should I look at investing in, say, one share of Amazon to help hedge the cost of buying a small number of shares in other companies, or should I look at, uh, or should I look into spreading my money over as many shares as I can get with multiple companies? Mm. Uh, obviously, guys, we can't recommend specific <laughs> stocks for Matt, um, but but I mean to that point, someone starting fresh out of college, what what are some of the types of things he should be looking at? Well, one of the one of our rules of thumb is that you should keep your transaction costs to about two percent of you know of of the transaction. So if he's buying a bunch of little shares, even if he's at a low cost broker, it's going to cost him you know eight to ten bucks. So that's it's very hard for him to buy a number of companies. Now he's just out of college, which mean he which means he has about ninety nine percent of his earnings future in front of him. So right. my suggestion is for him to buy one stock. You know, he's talking about a, he's talking about a a smaller amount you know a, a smaller amount of capital versus what he's going to have over his lifetime. So find the one company that he believes in the most. And the great thing about where he is now is that he doesn't really have to worry about what happens to it as much as someone who is say sixty might. You know, because he's going to be able to make mistakes and earn his way out of it over the next forty five years. And you know, perhaps you know he'll you know he he will learn much more following and knowing one company really well than he would by spreading himself out now. See, and that's why, irrationally, I hate Matt Huber. Because, Seriously. You know, I mean, Dude, this guy, I was a good, uh, Matt Huber. I, I was, <laughs> Matt Huber, excuse me. I, I was a good <laughs> that ten, guy, too. Yeah. Him. I was a good 10 years older than him before I started you know, putting money away, investing, that kind of thing. But, and you, now you've got your 500 bucks. And you're doing great. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Joe? What yeah, I completely agree with what Bill said. You know, you want to, Joe. Yeah, well, you want to build your way to a diversified portfolio. Yep. You don't need to get there overnight. And I think it's great that he's thinking about diversification. Mm -hmm. But you're going to make some stumbles along the way. And I think that buying one stock that, to Bill's point, you believe in and know and get to know really well and follow it would be a great teaching point. And you can build on top of that. You know, as you get five hundred here, a thousand there, and you'll learn along the way. And you know, you'll fall and scrape your knees, and that's 
how it works. Yeah, but that's a great, be a great point. experience. That's a great point too. I mean, to to make this truly successful, and it sounds like he is. You need to you 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 need to dollar cost average, and you need to very systematically put more money into your account, and even in small increments and subtly, it's going to turn out to be quite a bit of money. Um, Matt is out of college, but I do need to put in a plug. We are having a college student investing event here at uh, Fool Headquarters on March second. Um, so if you are a college student in the D.C. area or you know a college student in the D.C. area uh, interested in investing or possibly even working at The Motley Fool, it's an afternoon event on March 2nd. Uh, we're having a roundtable with our analysts and advisors. There's food and drink. Free pizza. It's Yeah, it's a free event. Do um, we even own a roundtable here, though? Um, well, the table we're sitting This table, is, this table half is like a half moon table. So maybe we can get like another one. Did we lose the other half of this table? Yeah. Um, uh, anyone interested can sign up, just go to culture.fool.com. That's our student investing seminar, March 2nd. It's free. Sign up at culture.fool.com. Joe Mager will be there. He's part of the roundtable. Bill, I don't. I, I think your invitation might have been lost in yeah. the mail. I'm well, going to be in North Dakota, actually, that day. <laughs> oh, well, then, then no free food and drink for you. I'm not making this up, actually. Bill Mann, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks. Thank As you. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>